0: Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you for joining me. And thank you also to the number of you that uh, recently gave me some feedback on your thoughts and ideas on how we can make the show even better. I'm always looking for your feedback and welp- welcome your feedback. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, reviews left on iTunes. And if you have some thoughts on things we can do to uh, enhance the show and, um, reach more of the audience that needs to hear our message. I'm always open to your feedback. You can reach out to us on Twitter at, at colon cancer show. You can email us at info at the colon cancer podcast. And there is also a link on our website at the colon cancer where you can nominate someone to be a guest on the show. And I'm always looking for ideas in that area and do welcome your nominations. I also want to send a shout-out and a thank you to my friend Chris Shaw and the folks over at H2ORS. h 2 rs is an oral rehydration solution. For those of you, particularly folks that are on chemo or dealing with ostomy, hydration is so, so important. And H2ORS is a uh, powdered drink mix, but unlike the popular sports drinks that are out there, it does not contain any sugar, artificial sweeteners, or colors. And Chris and the team have uh, put together an offer for the listeners of our show where you can get two free shamp- samples shipped to you at no charge. Just visit their website at h2ors.com forward slash sample and fill out the necessary information and they'll ship you right out a couple of samples. And if you are interested in purchasing the product, they've made an offer available to us as well. Entering their website address, h2ors.com, using that as a promo code will get you 10% off a purchase on their site. As we are wrapping up Colon Cancer Awareness Month, uh, we're going to wrap this month up with a very powerful episode. My guest this week is Tom Zuba. Tom is the author of the book, Permission to Mourn, A New Way to Do Grief. In addition to being a author, Tom is a life coach and a speaker traveling all over sharing his message of hope, a message that comes from a deeply personal place. And his message is that there is hope and you can find happiness after someone you love dies. So join me now for my conversation with Tom Zuba. Tom, good evening. Thank you so very much for joining me this evening. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, and uh, thank you for having me here. It's a real honor to be with you.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and I'm very grateful for your time. Uh, For those that uh, are not familiar with you and your work, if you wouldn't mind, uh, just kind of take us back uh, and and give us your backstory, if you will.
1: I will, Lee, but I'm going to give it to you really, really briefly, because I am just so much more than this really, really fascinating story. I
0: understand that.
1: So where it really, really begins is when I was six years old, my little brother, Daniel Patrick, died really, really suddenly the day after his baptism. That was in 1963. So that was my first experience with what I call an intimate death. So from a really young age, I knew that children could die. Okay, fast forward to... It's interesting because I really have to think about this date, um, to 1989, my 18 month old daughter, Aaron died really, really suddenly. Now I just told you that my whole life, I knew that children could die. Never in a million years did I think my daughter would die, but she did. She died really suddenly of something called hemolytic uremic syndrome, you know, whatever that is. My wife and I had two more children. We had two sons. Uh, Rory was born about a year after Aaron died, and Sean was born about four years later. And when Sean was born, We were at a place that I really, really worked hard to get to. It felt like his birth was really, really normal. You know, after Aaron's death, I just wanted to be a normal, boring, everyday family again. And we were, you know, we really, really were. So for a couple of years there, you know, life was beautiful. Life was really, really wonderful. We were a happy, happy, happy family. And when my kids were three and seven, Um, Right after Christmas of 1998, I called 911 in the middle of the night, rode in an ambulance with my wife, Trish, and after a 52-hour hospital stay on New Year's Day of 1999, my 43-year-old wife died. Again, really, really sudden. It was explosively catastrophic to me. And I had to turn to my sons, age three and seven, and tell them that mommy had died. So a- anyone that's experienced an intimate death like that knows that you are thrust into this deep, dark, hopeless, indescribable pit of despair. Somehow, some way, through an incredible amount of effort, I clawed my way out, clawed my way out for the second time And again, I really have to say that life was good. I I loved being a mother and a father to both of my kids. When my oldest son, Rory, was 13, two days after he went to seventh grade, so it it was in August of 2004, he had a seizure in the middle of the night. And again, I'm calling 911, I'm in the ambulance with someone that I love. And the MRI showed he had a hot spot on his left temporal lobe, which was misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. But that November at Children's Memorial in Chicago, he went in for a brain biopsy, which resulted in the removal of his left temporal lobe and a diagnosis of something called glioblastoma. I had no idea what that was, but I very quickly learned it's a terminal, very aggressive brain cancer. This was in November of 2004. In February of 2005, my 13-year-old son died. So I'm living with the death of my daughter, my wife, and my son. Uh, My son, Sean, at the time was in fourth grade. And again, I was thrust into that deepest, darkest pit of despair. This time it was different, though. Uh, The way I describe it is when Aaron died, I did not believe there was a light at the end of that tunnel. I didn't believe it. When my wife Trish died, I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. That did not make the journey any easier. It just made it different. And when my son Rory died... Not only did I know there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but the tunnel itself was actually lit. So I was a participant and I was an observer. And the intention that I set was that if I could claw my way out one more time, I would use all the knowledge, all the wisdom, all the tools that I gathered to help other people so that no one else, no one else would have to experience what I experienced. And that's what I'm doing with my life. So that's 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 my story in a, in a really tiny, tiny little nutshell.
0: The first question that came to mind, and it just reappeared as I'm listening to you repeat your story, and I, and I picked it up from reading your book, Permission to Mourn. If we all know that we're all going to die, why doesn't that make it any easier? Is it because... All we know is the fact that it's going to happen and not the how and the when. Is that what makes it so hard or is there more to it?
1: From my experience, I I think that death and certainly living with the death of someone we love, that's the last frontier. It's, It's almost the last taboo as well. We, we rarely, if ever, talk about those two topics. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to do. The subtitle of my book is, you know, A New Way to Do Grief. I, I want to bring this out of the closet. It's, it's important that we talk about it. What's amazing to me is, you know, so many people in the United States are raised, quote, Christian. And part of being Christian is, you know, believing in an afterlife. But when push comes to shove, you know, who who really really believes in that? Who really ever gives themselves permission to think about, you know, what happens after we die? You know, when someone you love dies, it smacks you upside the head.
0: It makes me think. My- uh, I'm, uh, recently within the last three years married in, and, uh, God has given me a second chance at love is what I tell people. And what came with that marriage is, uh, an appreciation now that I never thought I would say of country music and the artist Kenny Chesney has a song called everybody wants to go to heaven. And the subline is, but nobody wants to go now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Um, uh, Let's talk a little bit more about that that taboo piece. I was listening to another podcast. I'm a big sports fan. And I was listening to the Sports Illustrated podcast, and they were interviewing a college football writer from ESPN. His name is Ivan Mizell. And Ivan, uh, his son, about a year ago, took his own life. And in the interview, they were, they were talking about football and these things, but eventually the topic did t- turn to uh, the loss of his son. And he said, and I quote, people are so clunky around death because they don't want to talk about it. Why is that? Is, is it that, that taboo, that fear?
1: I'll tell you what I've come to believe. Most human beings are actually uncomfortable with being a human being. Being a human being requires feeling." Not just feeling nice and okay, but feeling all of it. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. And when we talk about death, we tap into feelings that we do not want to feel, that we're afraid of feeling. So we will do whatever is necessary not to talk about death. In fact, a fascinating, very common phenomena, at least here in the US, is that when someone we love dies, when we need people the most, most of the people in our life run as far away from us as they possibly can. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with them. When they're in my presence, they're required to feel feelings that they are uncomfortable feeling. So we're, we're literally afraid of being fully human, which to me is remarkable.
0: I'd never heard it put quite that way, but it does resonate. Uh, You stop and think about our society, you know, smile, right? Right. We're all told to smile, you know, don't worry, be happy. Yes, 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 yes.
1: And and the truth of the matter is, is is if I'm not willing to go to the depths of what it's like to be human, then I will never, ever, ever go to the mountaintop. I mean, I experience incredible moments of joy and they're in direct proportion and direct relation to the moments of utter despair that I felt. I don't live my life, you know, in the, in the mid zone. I don't, it's, my life isn't about playing it safe.
0: You, you talk in your book about the things we do in our society to numb us to our feelings.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We're masters at it. You know, we drink one glass of wine a night. If one is good, three are better. You know, we take a sleeping pill. There's all kinds of pills we can take to numb ourselves. We become workaholics. With Netflix now, I could binge TV all night long. You know, 20 minutes on Facebook turns into seven hours on Facebook. You know, I, I have my phone at my fingertips 24-7. Um, there's, there's so many different things we do to make sure we feel nothing.
0: Tell me about the first word in the title of your book permission?
1: It's 2016. And it is amazing to me that most of us need to be given permission. We need to be told it is okay to mourn. The truth of the matter is when someone I love dies, the normal, healthy, appropriate healing response is to literally get on the floor and kick and scream and cry and wail and foam at the mouth for a long, long, long time, much longer than the three days we're given before we have to go back to work. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to open the door and give people permission to do what they need to do to heal their broken heart. Because I truly, truly believe that healing is possible.
0: How do we juggle that permission that you're referring to with what our society, our employers, those things expect from us? How do we do both?
1: Well, we absolutely have to pretend in order to survive particularly if we have to go back to work. But when we pretend, let's be aware of the fact that we're pretending to be okay in order to survive. And it has to be about creating a balance. There has to be time every single day when we're not pretending anymore. You know, when we take the mask off and we give ourselves permission to feel every feeling and every emotion that arises. I I differentiate between grief and mourning. I say that grief is the internal automatic response to loss. So grief is about what's happening inside of us. Every human being grieves. In order to heal, we have to mourn. We have to identify what's happening inside of us. We have to push it up and get it out. Mourning is a path to healing. But more and more and more, people don't mourn anymore. There's not, there's not a safe place for us to mourn. So we pretend, we repress, we deny, we numb. And sooner or later, grief will have its way with us.
0: One of my favorite quotes from the book, and there are many, is when you talked about crying. And you said, crying is the body's way of clearing out the old and making room for the new.
1: And, 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 and Lee, isn't it amazing? It's 2016, and someone I love has died, and I still feel like I have to apologize for crying.
0: Yeah. Especially men, Absolutely. right? There's a whole there's a whole gender piece that we that yeah, haven't absolutely. even talked about. Yep. You know, the men are supposed to be strong..
1: right? When I work with people, I say, change the voice inside your head. When you are crying or when you're in the presence of someone else that's crying, have the new voice say, "I am healing. I am healing. I am healing. There's something really, really sacred about crying. And we literally are healing. You know, so allow the healing in.
0: Do people who they themselves are dying, do they grieve?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. So it's such a great question because it's like, who is creating a safe, sacred space for those that are dying so that that person can grieve, so that that person can mourn, so that that person can feel every feeling and every emotion that comes up, so that they can feel loved and lovable, so that they can be seen, heard, and honored That's what every human being wants. When I am dying, if I'm lucky enough to be aware of it, I sure hope I'm going to be surrounded by people that see me and hear me and honor me exactly where I am. It's what we all want. We don't want to be fixed. We want to be seen, heard, and honored.
0: It reminds me, you can tell I keep making sports references, several years ago, Jim Valvano, the late uh, college basketball court, coach from North Carolina state. He was nominated for an SB award, a humanitarian award, and he gave a speech and he passed away six weeks later. He knew he was dying of cancer and he talks about coming from an Italian family. And he talks about the emotion and love and all the emotions that were part of his life in his entire life. And he said, you know, in my family, if we laughed and we cried in the, in, in the same day, it was a great day. And he said it with that much vigor knowing that his death, own death, was imminent. It just so touched me, even to this day. He's been gone 17 years now, somewhere around there.
1: Well, it it sounds like he was blessed to grow up in a family that rather than running away from being human, they embraced being
0: human. Truly, truly. Um, My next question is... You talked about your own experience and what's happened to you and how you lost your brother, two of your children and your wife, and all that you had to do to give yourself permission to to mourn. How did you manage that with, with Sean? Talk to
1: me. Okay. I, I, okay. I, I want to back up a little bit because um, – one of the things that I believe is that words have power. Literally, the words I consciously choose to speak create my experiences. I believe that. So number one, I don't believe that I lost my little brother. I don't say that my daughter's lost. My wife isn't lost. My son isn't lost. I know exactly where they are that's a shift. That's an internal shift. That's a choice that I make. And it's a choice between creating continued pain for myself or peace for myself. And one of the things that I've always been clear about is that I wanted to make peace with my life. So thank you for letting me share that with the audience. That's that's huge.
0: I I and, and I appreciate you doing that because I read your explanation of that in the book and that really touched me. But this just goes to show the habits that we have of using those Absolutely. words, right? You know, because I read it in your book and I said that's that makes all the sense in the world. Because if it's a loss, that completely changes everything, and and you don't perceive it as, as a loss, nor should you. But it just goes to show that. We is, is, you know, in our country, that's the word we use, right? So thank you for for, for that.
1: We use it all the time. So after my wife died, uh, my son, excuse me, after after Rory died, Sean was in fourth grade. He was in fourth grade. And I knew, this might sound harsh to some listeners, but I knew that my number one job was to take care of myself. My number one job was to work on my own healing. That's, that's a shift in perception as well because the greatest gift I could give Sean, my son, was to heal myself. I also firmly, firmly believe that everybody knows exactly what we need to heal. My fourth grade son, Sean, knew exactly what he needed to heal. This is what I could consciously do for him. And I did. I could create a safe space for him. And that safe space, I just referred to it. There's three criteria in creating the safe, sacred space. One is Sean got to feel every feeling and every emotion. Absolutely nothing was off limits to him as far as his feelings and emotions. He got to feel loved and lovable. Now, I will tell you, Lee, there were times Sean would look me directly in the eye in a really calm voice and say, Daddy, I wish you had died. I wish Mommy was still here. Life would be better if Mommy was still here. He got to say that. He got to feel that. That was his truth. I still loved him. And, and he, it was important that he was seen, heard, and honored exactly where he was at every single moment. Now, was it an easy journey with him? It absolutely was not. I, I mean, this is, this is a boy who, when he was three, his mom disappeared one day. You know, she died his whole life. He knew he had an older sister that he never met who died before he was born. And as I said, when he was in fourth grade, his partner in crime, you know, his soulmate, the guy he slept in bed with on Christmas Eve and you know, the night before birthdays and, and special occasions. This kid died before his eyes of brain cancer. So it wasn't an easy journey. I mean, there were tough, tough, tough times, but I continued to create that safe, sacred space for him. He will be 21 on April 18th. He is a remarkable, sensitive, intuitive, funny, you know, wise beyond his years human being. He's an incredible, he is my greatest teacher. I dedicated my book to him.
0: You talk also, Tom, that uh, when you described when Rory went home. What you said, in, and this was in your uh, your 10 years later video that's on your website at tomzuba.com. And when you're talking to the audience, you, you said that he had finished his life's work. Um, and it's both a comforting and, and positive message, but not everybody in our world is positive. There are evil people. What happens when someone that's evil passes away? Do we say they finished their life's work? How do we frame that?
1: That's huge. That's really, really huge. Evil is relative. I think evil is relative. I I don't know the big picture. I don't. They don't. Uh, it's interesting. I was raised Catholic. And one of the things that we were told over and over and over again is, you know, well, that's a mystery. You know, that's a mystery. Um. I do think, listen, this this is what I know. If my son, Rory brennan Zuba finished his work on Earth, left his physical body and went home, if that's true for him, that's true for every human being. Uh, That's true, you mentioned Ivan, whose son committed suicide. It's a shift in perception. It's, it's the choice of peace rather than pain. Ivan's son finished what he came here to do. He left in what I would say is a really fascinating way. Same with the people who are here doing what we have decided is evil. I, I don't know the big picture. I don't. Yeah, so I, I, I'm surrendering to the mystery of it all. I do believe that when I leave this physical body, I'll go, oh, that makes sense. I get it. That makes sense.
0: You also said your beliefs stop you from healing. Talk about that. Your beliefs can stop you Absolutely. from healing.
1: Absolutely. Uh, there's a hole in my heart that will never, ever, ever heal. If that's what you believe, that's the experience you will create. My life ended the day my wife died. Many people say that. If that's what you believe, if that's what you cling to, that's what you will create. Listen, I have two children that have died and you know, part of conventional wisdom out there, the worst death of all is the death of a child. It is so unnatural for us to bury our children. Number one, up until the turn of the last century, 50% of children under the age of 12 died. It's not so unnatural for parents to bury their children. It was very, very, very natural. But if I cling to the belief that my death You know, the person that I love that died, that's the worst one of all. That's what I believe. That's what I'm going to create. And I I will say, I'm not saying there's a right way or there's a wrong way. Every single human being gets to believe whatever they want. But let's consciously take a look at what it is we're believing, what we're clinging to, what we're thinking Let's discuss it out in the open. That's what I'm trying to do, have a conversation and let people know, hey, maybe there's another way to look at it. Maybe you actually could lead a full, peaceful, joy-filled life with the death of these people that you love.
0: A question, probably one of the most common questions, at least that I've heard, as it relates to death. It goes back to that quote about people – being so clunky was Ivan's words. What do you tell someone uh, when they are going, making an attempt to comfort someone who's mourning and they say, I don't know what to say.
1: Yeah. I think I don't know what to say is wonderful. That's, that's one. Another one is if you're close enough to the person, you know, I love you. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. That's about it. That's about it. You know, showing up is huge. One thing mm. I would say never, ever say is call me if you need anything. That person will never, ever, ever call you. Your presence says so, so, so much.
0: Tom, I really, truly, am so grateful that, that you spent this time to to share uh, share this with our audience. Um, as you know, this is the colon cancer podcast, and uh, the ar- array of uh, experiences that our listeners uh, are going through in their lives now or, or run the gamut. Um, parting words for people who are just struggling with disease either themselves or the or their or their caregivers
1: well, one of the things that i learned is don't give up i mean don't give up you know, don't give up and i'm not saying well, what what i'm saying is don't give up on yourself you know don't give up on hope for peace you know however that may unfold you know don't give up you know hang in there hang in there hang in there
0: great tom again thank you um i just uh, thank you for all that you're doing to help the 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 people out there that need your guidance Uh, I highly encourage uh, the folks that are listening to our conversation, if they have not had a chance to check out your website, TomZuba.com, to do so, check out your Facebook group, and by all means, uh, your book, Permission to Mourn, A New Way to Do Grief. I know it's on Amazon, uh, as I think virtually every other book in the world, right? (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's a great read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and um, and I know that there's a lot that people can get from it. So again, thank you.
1: You're welcome, Lee. Uh, if, if we touched one person, if we made a difference in one person's life, I am thrilled. So thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at coloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at coloncancerpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.